You're listening to Tech Talk Central. This is Vicky Kolovo, um, talking for Tech Talk Central, interviewing Professor Guangzhong Yan, the co-founder and director of the Hamlin Center. Hello, Mr. Yang. It's nice having you with us. Thank you, Vicky, and it's great to talk to you. Okay, can you please do a brief introduction about yourself? Um, give us a few details about uh, your work, uh, just to start out, and then we'll start with a few questions. So I'm the uh, I found the Hamling Center uh, quite a few years ago now. The center is focused on three research areas: that's imaging, sensing, and the robotics. And a lot of the focus of the center is about developing technology that is safe, effective, of course, that for medical, older medical devices. But what we also focus on is it has a strong clinical translational value, i.e. making the technology to be accessible. So it is really focusing on these three strands of research and looking to how this can help to reshape the future of healthcare in terms of the technologies. So to start out, this was going to be my last question, but um, this is your how you're commercializing the research you're doing. Do I understand it correctly? The center does that. Is this for commercial use? Uh, well, the center is like all the research center, and mm -hmm. of course we pay a lot of attention to how the technology will ultimately be used in you know clinical practice and then by patients. So in terms of commercialization, we take multiple avenues in terms of licensing, co-development with commercial companies, or setting up spin-off companies. Okay. One of the um, issues we usually come across when we're interviewing researchers is exactly um, getting through as to how this will get to the uh, to the people, how it will get into healthcare. That's why, uh, hence my question. So um, I, I understand the imaging. It's, he also, I think, mentioned sensing. You do sensors, and uh, I've watched one of the amazing videos you did um, online where you mentioned the body sensor network. Um, can you please explain in a few things about that and where your research is up to right now? So sensors that uh, we use sensors a lot. That in fact, it's uh, pervasive. You see everywhere that mm -hmm. uh, a lot of sensors now integrated uh, into your phone, for instance, that give you the XR meter, gyroscope, and all the uh, sensors you need. And uh, what we have focusing on within the Hamlin Center is more in the form of wearable sensors and implantable sensors. So let me start from the wearable sensors, and all these are concerned with capturing direct physical or physiological signs that related to your health. So we do uh, a lot of, we have developed a number of different sensors for capturing, for instance, that uh, EEG and uh, gametic skin response that to look at the stress mm -hmm. and uh, bowel motion, for instance, be able to reconstruct the 3D body motion, look at the gait, posture, and all the things. <laughs> In fact, this is really one of the topic. There is a conference this week uh, Moby Health, that a lot of research will be reported in that meeting. But what we also do is something unique within the Hamlin Center, is that we focus on two areas. One is capturing surrogate signs. So what are surrogate signs? Mm -hmm. That's, uh, yeah. A lot 
Stopping wearable sensors is very interesting. And as engineers, we are all interested in developing very sophisticated, fancy technology. Mm-hmm. Patient use, they can't, you know, use a lot of sensors wearing on the body. That patient compliance will be very low. Yes. So now if your question that you want to capture something, somebody's daily activity, and also you want to capture things such as gait, and uh, in the movement and so on, how many sensors would you use? And then where do you position the sensors? Exactly, yes. So one of the sensors we developed is very much learned from the biological system that uh, the, uh, we actually put a sensor just right behind the ear. Mm-hmm. And it's quite surprising that uh, it will not only that be able to give you the general posture of the body and so on, which is unsurprising, but it would be able to pick up actually shock waves, the ground reaction force as you walk. So all of a sudden you have a sensor placed behind the ear be able to actually detect your gait. And this sounds counterintuitive, but if you think about how the function of human inner ear and also the you know the, the, the three uh, semicircular canals and how it controls that help us to control the balance so on, you wouldn't be surprised because this is biological evolution through all these thousands of years that they're reaching to this optimum setup, why don't we learn from that? And there are many examples. You can use those wearable sensors if you position them cleverly, if you deploy them that uh, in a way that is uh, not affecting the, you know, the patient mm-hmm. uh, habit and also is not difficult or cumbersome to wear, then you can ensure a lot of the uh, uh, uptake of the technology. This comes back to my point, when we develop technology, it needs to be smart, needs to be sophisticated, but also need to be accessible. That's one example. Okay. So you do mention in one of your videos that it's the GPS of our body, the ear. That's right. Yeah. Correctly. So it con- controls the balance and uh, controls the, uh, you know, the posture, a number of different things. And the human skeleton, actually, is a very good conductor of both high-frequency and low-frequency waves. Mm-hmm. That's why we'll be able to pick up some information. That In this case, if you have an injury, injury that, uh, for your ankle or for your knee, you'll be able to pick up those, actually, from the sensor, which is positioned behind the ear. Okay. So, uh, you also mentioned in implants. What kind of sensors would those be? So, this is very much... Uh, uh, ongoing research program we are conducting within the Hamlin Center. So the implantables, you know, as you know that as we the longevity is increasingly, uh, you know, increasing steadily over the years, yeah. we will we'll live a longer age, mm-hmm. and the many of the chronic diseases will no longer become terminal. This means that we will live with the comorbidities of many diseases when we reach this golden age. Then, like a car, things will go wrong. Mm-hmm. So how can we actually cleverly deploy those sensors that, uh, to monitor this uh, you know, continuously? So our focus is really to develop sensors that can be implanted after surgery. So if you unfortunately have to undergo some form of operation, whether this being you know, a, a, a knee replacement or GI surgery or cardiothoracic surgery, then we can put those sensors inside the body. This is, uh, this is very interesting. Is it experimental or has it been done? Or We are currently at the experimental stage that uh, some of our sensors are quite advanced now. So one of the areas we are currently looking at is for surgical site infection. Mm-hmm. 
as you know, in surgery, that we are increasingly driving towards minimally invasive surgery. Yes. And for this type of surgery, and you need to, you know, you basically can discharge the patient very quickly. But the problem is infection typically kicks in after mm-hmm. week two. Yep. And this manifests itself with, you know, uh, uh, all the symptoms you have. But when you detect that through those symptoms, it will be too late. Mm-hmm. Since for GI surgery that, uh, you know, when you have the anastomotic leak, for instance, and this can, the consequence can be catastrophic. Yes, of course, yes. And uh, would you be able to detect that early? Mm. So during surgery, you put a lot of the things, the sutures, the surgical staples, the stents. Mm. And how about making those to become sensor-enabled? So this is really the area that we are you know, currently working on, making those implants be able to detect uh, uh, inflammation, detect changes in pH, and also some of the physical markers. Um, similarly, we are also that uh, addressing, you know, uh, making those uh, surgical appliances, mm-hmm. for instance, the surgical drains, the, the central line catheters, and and the uh, ports that are used for chemotherapy, mm-hmm. and make that sensor enabled. Oh, that that's interesting. Never thought of that. That's a great idea. So making the tools um, give yeah, give back feedback data. That's very interesting. Actually, uh, when I was reading about your research and your work, I sort of remembered um, <clears throat> there's this movie called Lucy um, where she develops like 100% of her brain capability to think and she knows what's going on in her body. And I was thinking, this is amazing. It's like you're replacing something we would expect from our own bodies, our own brains, I'm sorry, to, to know if something's going on wrong inside. That's right. Yeah. So you, I was immediately. I thought this is amazing because you know suddenly we will know what's going on and, and what's going wrong. Um, just to go because we don't have a lot of time to the robotics. I I also saw a video about what uh, you're doing on that um, in surgery. Can you tell us a few things on that? So for robotics, all our work is concerned with uh, uh, minimally invasive surgery again. That. Uh, uh, you know, as you perform keyhole surgery, mm-hmm. and it gets really hard, hard to, you know, when you manipulate those instruments that are, you know, difficult to manipulate and requires high levels of dexterity, mm-hmm. show they are counterintuitive. So that's why robotics come into play. Because then you can ensure that, uh, that the, the miniature instruments and also the vision, they are all, you know, aligned properly to be able to perform the uh, microsurgical tasks more accurately. The real advantage of uh, medical robotics or surgical robots is able to, you know, allow you to work in tight spaces, Mm -hmm. able to give you the superhuman capabilities in terms of removing motion tremor Mm -hmm. and also provide motion scaling. We all draw a circle, but none of us can draw a perfect one. Mm-hmm. But if I amplify this 10 times, you can draw a quite big circle. But if I shrink this down back 10 times, that circle actually look pretty good. Yes. So th- these are the things that will help with, particularly for microsurgical tasks. But then you may ask that why do we do imaging, sensing, and the robotics? How all this actually link together? Mm-hmm. This is really looking at the future of healthcare. Everything is driving towards early detection and the prevention of diseases. So you can 
use wearable sensors that, uh, to encourage people to have living better lifestyle and also mitigate some of the risks in terms of uh, you know uh, behavior and also lifestyle related diseases. But you can rely on minimally invasive surgery to actually intervene at the early stage. And after surgery, you can leave the sensors behind to monitor the efficacy. That the imaging really comes into play is that no longer we look at the disease at the late stage. So when the tumor is really, you know, be, you know, progress beyond stage two, three, and so on, you actually intervene at much earlier. It's, it's an interesting concept the way you said it because I, I thought about it as uh, using sensors and imaging for prediction, obviously, knowing if something's wrong. But I always thought of robotics at the end, when you reach sort of at the end and you have to have a surgery. But what you are actually saying is, since we can really quickly see what's wrong, we can fix it easily. Yeah, it's a minor fix is, uh, you know, uh, the, the trauma involved and all this mm -hmm. thing is You want to manage a disease before you enter into a stage of irreversible, uh, uh, on the path of irreversible uh, status. So, so then the imaging comes into play because when you want to do precision surgery, then you need to know, you know yeah. the image is no longer you know, differentiating a tumor mass anymore. You want to have very precise you know, pinpoint exactly at the mm -hmm. cellular level. And this is where imaging comes into play. And we work a lot on the more traditional imaging techniques like MRCT, ultrasound, and so on. Mm -hmm. We develop our own miniaturized imaging devices, which will be able to provide the tissue characterization mm -hmm. in situ, in vivo. That is different to taking ex vivo study in the laboratory. Take one example for confocal, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, imaging, for instance. Mm -hmm. And this is done, you know. Uh, widely in the laboratory setting, but we actually use uh, probe-based, you know, confocal laser endos, endo microscopy. Mm -hmm. This is the tip is only about to the size of less than a millimeter. Yeah, yeah, minute. And? can be integrated with surgical instruments, and you can do that during the surgery to give you real-time tissue characterization. Oh. So you turn cancer surgery into something much more uh, accurate. And for precision surgery, and that's the only way that uh, to lead towards the future. It's, it sounds interesting because it's like you're looking at it right there at very minute scale. You're operating on it, and you can do analysis at the same time and save time and lives, obviously. Yeah, this will change the surgical workflow. Yeah. So the longer, uh, uh, you know, one discipline pass on to information to the other, then you can allow people work more effectively collectively together. So this is really, I think, I feel very strongly that the engineers to provide solutions to answer specific questions in terms of, uh, you know, medicine and so on. Mm -hmm. But I also feel the engineers, have, we have the responsibility in terms of using technological innovation to shape the current practice, the, the you know, uh, the clinical practice so that uh, effectively to drive towards that the future of healthcare. So rather than taking on the reactive role, actually to take an active role in terms of from those new ways of doing things to actually to help, help change it. So how do you see the acceptance? Is your, um, your peers, how do they see um, the change you are thinking of bringing? Um, I think it's really exciting that, uh, you know, we are really, uh, really excited by the amount of, uh, you know, uh, uh, how shall I say, the enthusiasm uh -huh. by 
clinical collaborators. For, take one example, for instance, that uh, those wearable sensors, which is uh, really low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. And one area we're getting more and more requests from people is really look at the rehabilitation, management of chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. For rehabilitation, the sensor we developed be able to use this at home. You can do this in the free living environment, which means that it will save a lot of visit. Yeah. And you can do remotely, do mental rehabilitation, and it's good for patients, good for cutting the cost, good for you know, workflow management, good for resource management by the clinic. I, I can understand your enthusiasm. I'm, I'm not a, in, med, in medicine, but uh, I think there's, the future is amazing, and especially in health. Uh, one of the reasons we are at Moby Health. Um, it looks, what you're talking about looks very promising. It was a great opportunity to have you with us. I don't know if you'd like to add something, uh, Professor Yang. Is there something you would like to say for the future or where you see it all going? Uh, well, it's very difficult to predict future. And uh, uh, what I would just say is that, uh, you know, uh, uh, in term, we need to think differently and uh, uh, differently in terms of perhaps it's appropriate to just to, you know, to follow what has been, you know, advocated uh, in terms of the 4P medicine, for instance, that in terms of prediction, prevention, personalization. I think everybody is aware of why and how these are required. Mm -hmm. One thing is the patient participation or participatory uh, medicine. This is really that uh, I think uh, the Moby House really hit the nail on this one because it's only through those effective use of the sensors we can bring the patient into, into the, you know, the, the core position. Yeah. yeah. To manage, to help to predict and also help to, uh, you know, to cure uh, uh, the certain you know, uh, chronic or acute diseases. Well, that, that raises a lot of you know, questions then about data, about privacy, about ethics, about how invasive something might be. But I think that's for some other conversation, uh, maybe for some other people to solve. Um, but I would like to thank you for being with us. Um, this was uh, Professor Guang Zhongyang, from, uh, a director from the Hamlin Center. He's also co-founder. And I'm Vicky Golovu from Tech Talk Central. Thank you, Professor Yang. Thank you very much, Vicky. You're listening to Tech Talk Central.